Hey, if you weren't here last Sunday, you really missed a fun time. It was really good. Um, we got to worship together as families last week, and uh, that was fun on the one hand, but it was also just so enriching to see what God can do in our little families as we start to worship together, but also learn what God is doing um, in our kids' lives as well, right? Not just as parents. If you're not someone who has kids, it's good to see them once in a while, huh? You, you, get to, you get to see what the other side does. Um, so last week, I don't know if you noticed this, but I was actually teaching through a series um, specifically to deal with something that's quite a heavy topic, um, but is not talked about much. And we kind of make stabs in the dark about it based on what you heard on some movie or some Halloween kind of story, right? So I wanted to set some context for what we mean when we talk about spiritual warfare. So I've been working with this series called Stand Firm. And spiritual warfare is something that's very, very real. It's not pretend, okay? So I'm going to take us through some scriptures today, and I want us to see that what we are in on earth today is not just trying to figure out how to get to the end of our life and get to heaven. There's a lot going on that we need to be aware of and also taking a very clear stand, okay? And this is what scripture, the, the, the words I've used there, which is stand firm, is a, is a word, are words that scripture uses in many places about how the believer is meant to live. Okay, if you believe in Jesus, we're not just talking about your eternal salvation. We're talking about how do I live right now? Okay, so what I'm going to talk about right now for just a few more minutes would be to try and unpack some of the things we started last week. We talked a little bit about the armor of God. Now, if you grew up in any kind of church, you would have heard some kind of song about it or some kind of Bible memory verse. Um, from Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the armor of God. Okay, and it's, it's one of these cool things that you, you start putting on stuff, right? But right now, let's just go back to the, the title slide. I'm going to walk, walk you through some things, okay? I want us to know our position in Christ because that is what we call the armor of God, okay? We often think about it almost like this thing we go down to the Halloween store and pick up a costume kind of thing. And that's how often Christians read that passage of scripture. It's almost like something you go buy or just put on for a day. Or when you're having a bad rough week, you're like, I need to put the armor of God on. You're thinking about it all wrong because it's not a thing. It's not something you get to put on. It is the work of Jesus that we're putting on. Okay, so I'm going to take us through that. I want to start with this simple thought. Who are you? Who are you? Are you just somebody who's trying to make it through the toils of life? Are you someone who's trying to just get past, regardless of which stage of life you're in? Can we all admit that life is hard? Okay? Yeah, life does get hard. But who are you in this context? Are you just somebody who is, say, a, ma or a single 
kid who's trying to figure out how to work out college life? Are you someone who's just newly married, trying to figure out marriage, trying to figure out a job? And then kids show up, and then you're really in a battle, right? And then bills show up. Life gets hard super quick. And the problem is we tend to look at the things that happen in life and start fighting those things. As people, I'm just a guy trying to make it. I'm just a girl trying to make it. And that's often the thing that we keep rehearsing. I'm just trying to make it just like everybody else. And I wanna, I'm here today to tell you, you are not like everyone else. If you have put your faith in Jesus, that last song we sang, right? When we sang about, no, he won't, he won't fail. He won't fail in the context of someone who says, I put my faith in Jesus, right? So there is something that you are joining yourself to. And for me, I couldn't help but just rehearse. As I was sitting there going over the story of God in my life, I was like, I've built my house on Jesus. I've built my entire life on Jesus. And in, in one sense, it seems like a stupid trade. Because I'm losing out on what I think I could achieve on this planet. There are things that are not compatible with putting my faith in Jesus. Things that I could pursue down here. And I was, as I was singing that song, I was like, it's so worth it. Being, having my God who is my firm foundation is so worth it. And I was just sitting there rehearsing all the times of my life where I have sat there in tears, struggling to figure out how am I going to make it to tomorrow? As a teenager, wondering how do I even face tomorrow? I don't know how I can do this. As a young adult, figuring out like how do I work through all of this stuff? People's impressions of you, people's expectations of you. And everything else that life throws at you and you're like, and right from a young age, I've seen God again and again. Even when I felt like I was almost slipping and I was almost done. He swoops in and he says, I will hold you fast. So I'm here to tell you, putting your faith in Jesus as your firm foundation is totally worth it. But you are in a war. You're not playing get through life. You're not playing, you know, have, has anyone grown up with that game, life? You know how everyone tries to like, you, you have kids in the college degree and, you know, it's one of those little things that you put on the little cars and, anyway. It's a, it's a game that takes way too long, basically, <laughs> you know? And if you had sisters or siblings, they would ruin it for you because they would, yeah, anyway. So, you, you can see I have issues with that game. But, <laughs> It's not like playing the game of life. You're not just trying to accrue certain things so you can get to the end. There is something that God has joined you to that is far more reaching than just your life here and now. So I want you to see this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay? In Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. This is one of my favorite verses. It, it constantly anchors me back to what I belong to. Just in case Judah starts to get out of this place of saying, I got to fix my life. I got to make sure my kids' needs are met. I need to make sure that this happens and that happens in retirement and, oh no, the market and inflation and energy. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me. He loved me. He loved me enough to die for me. And he was raised up for me. So I'm going to live by faith in him. Galatians 6 verse 14 goes on to say in the same book. But far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. These are big, big statements. So like some of the, I don't know if you already had that moment today. But while we were singing those songs, I had to reaffirm for myself, have I built my house on Jesus? Have I placed my faith in Jesus? Or am I trying to do ish? It's more like an ish thing. Yeah, faith in Jesus ish. Build my house on Jesus, but have a really good retirement that I did for myself. Live in the American dream, baby. That whole idea of trying, and we call it wisdom. We call it being responsible. We call it adulting. We call it all kinds of things. But at the heart of it, if we haven't practiced in each and every aspect of our life to say, I've placed it all in Jesus' hands. Because the wins and the losses are on Him. Are you hearing me? The wins and losses are on? Me getting out of this with something is not the point. So, I want us to see this from Romans chapter 6. And last week when we, we had baptisms here, I want you to see that this is very crucial do you know, or do you not know, <laughs> do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Did you know that? The verse is asking you that question, so you have to kind of answer it. Right? <laughs> Did you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into Jesus' death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism into death in order that. So what is the point of being baptized into Jesus' death? In order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. So we're not living an oldness of life, which is trying to be reformed and behavior modified and trying to be more Christian, trying to be a better man, trying to be a better Christian and all of the No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about. It's a totally different kind of life. This is life that only God can provide and supply. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. This body that you and I drag around that is so prone to anxiety, that is prone to sickness, that is prone to all forms of brokenness. That the effect of this body and its, and its fallenness no longer gets the final say. Are you hearing me? This is the gospel. This is the good news that you and I are not stuck with trying to push this dirty dirt bag of a body across the finish line. I'm just going to make it. Come on, we can do it. You just got to gotta believe in yourself. Stop believing in yourself. Because that's the problem. We try to do this ish thing. We try to do a little bit of Jesus and more of me trying to make it through the end of the day. 1 John chapter 4. It says, little children, this is in verse 4, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than Satan who roams this earth. The darkness that pervades the culture and the world that we live in, which is why I told you right at the start, you are not like everybody else. So you have to stop living like you're just like everybody else. Do we encounter the same problems in our body? Do we encounter the same problems in our relationships? You might be tricked to think so. But Jesus died for that. He either did or he didn't. You can't have it both ways. Are you hearing me? You can't have Jesus die for something that he says, I came to rescue you from this. And he says, well, you know what? Let's just chill on that. I'll I'll give you like a few years and maybe if you crawl through to heaven, I'll give you the full benefit of it. You and I were made for union with him. That's what we just read in Romans chapter 6. That is what baptism is. I got to kill the Judah that was living till now. Along with Jesus' death, Judah died. Now the guy who came up is not Judah anymore in the flesh. He has to drag this body around. But guess what? The body is no longer the determining factor in how my life is lived. Jesus is. This Jesus life that I have inside of me is completely different. Now this is the kernel of what we call spiritual warfare. The problem is if we don't start here, we will try to start fighting battles with ish kind of stuff. Are you hearing me? We will start to do hearing God's voice with ish. So that when we heard Bob teach us this past few weeks about heeding the voice of God, it's a ish. Last week we encountered this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that ish you and I know how we live our lives so this is not a judgment this is more an alert how much of our life is lived with ish yeah God says do not fear but because anxiety is is a genuine issue in my life which it is how do I reconcile the two 
Do I constantly, every time anxiety overwhelms me, so this is a real battle situation I'm talking about, right? Many of us in this room face that. So when anxiety strikes, this is a real spiritual battle I'm fighting because I'm not fighting flesh and blood. I'm not fighting my body or just a chemical reaction that's happening. I come back to the one who anchors my body. And I say, Lord, my body is beat up. I don't know how to handle this. My mind is mush. I need help. He's been faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? You sang it. Unless it's bogus. Now you see what I'm talking about, the ish stuff? Because we kind of believe it, but we're like, yeah, come on. I'm in anxiety. It's going to hit me on Monday, and it's going to happen. Financial trouble. I'm, I've been a blue-collar worker all my life, and I've never had anything given to me, so I guess I'm never ever going to be someone who has two pennies to rub together. That, this is my lot. It's all this ish kind of stuff. And, you, and we wear it as a badge. Why? Because we're like everybody else. This is what I'm addressing. We cannot afford to live like the world does and then expect the work of Jesus to be potent. We cannot have it both ways. Which is why he says, little children, you have overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to show you. So I'm taking you back to a passage of scripture that you've read tons of times. If you are someone who has been a believer in Jesus, if this is the first time you're hearing this, guess what? We're going to dive into it a little bit today. Because I want you to have the context for how war is fought. Finally, so this is after writing a whole book. Okay, This is Ephesians chapter 6. So whenever you see a word finally, that means there was a whole bunch of stuff that went before. Right? That's basic comprehension stuff. But the problem is we usually start around here. So what I'm going to do today is, while we're talking through what the armor of God is and how we fight, I'm going to take you through what came before the finally. Okay? So that we start to see where he's coming from. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So what is He asking us to do? He says, as someone who has been joined to Jesus, so my position is very clearly connected to Jesus, not my earthly frame. I'm not just someone trying to make it. And I want you to hear that and hear that really well. You're not just trying to make it. But I want your eyes to be open to the fact that we're fighting things that are not people. That is not just the weakness of our body, if it's sickness, or issues in our mind. It's not just a mental health issue. All of these things are very real. So ignoring, see the problem is in, in the church in the past, people have ignored these spaces, trying to wish them away. And suddenly saying, well, Jesus did everything. Sorry, Jesus did everything. Everybody says, Jesus did everything. Jesus did everything. Jesus did everything. And then you start yelling. Okay, that doesn't help anybody. 
You've not told me how I can finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That's the part I need to figure out. Because I'm obviously very sick. I'm hacking up a lung here. And you're telling me that Jesus healed me. That those things, yes, I understand what you're saying, but just saying it doesn't solve the, the fact that I'm sick or that I'm anxious or that I'm depressed or that I'm in, in a place of confusion or my relationships are totally jacked up. These are all things that I cannot wish away. So how do I solve it? He says, hey, my friends, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If you are reading Ephesians, you'll be pushed back. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And he says this over here. So this is connected to this verse. So when you see this verse, he's actually talking about this verse. He's talking about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Because he already told you about this. So the finally part, is just expounding on something he already talked about. In chapter 1 he says, he wants you to know, and this, he said, he, this he's praying for the Ephesians church, and he says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe. According to the working of his great might. Whose great might? His great, not mine. I'm not the big shot here, I don't get to win the day. So when we are looking at the strength that we need to get through the day, it comes from where? It comes from Him. It's His working, not my working. So what we are being asked to stand in is not a Christian bravado. So when you read Ephesians chapter 6, we're not saying, come on, faith over fear, man, faith over fear. I saw that over the pandemic and I was like, that is maybe the most laughable statement ever made. We would hit Christians on the head who were afraid because they were faith over fear. Ask them how that faith works. Oh, I don't know. Faith over fear, man. This is the kind of absolute garbage that we have running around the church. We do not know how to do the be, finally be strong in the Lord. We do not know how to do the hinani. Hinani. We don't know how to pay attention to the voice of God. And we say, well, we'll just choose faith. What are you, what are you faithing in? So. Ephesians chapter 3. So a couple chapters later, he expounds this thought again. Ephesians chapter 3 says, Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Do you hear that word again? Forever and ever. So when he's telling you in chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's, he's, he's hoping that you've gotten the picture by now. We're dealing with a God who is joined to us, who has power to do more than we can ask or imagine. What is that mountain in your life that seems insurmountable right now? 
Have you even thought about asking for it? Or you think it's just one of those things that's just so big. There's no point asking. That. That thing, he has the power. That's the one we're joined to. So when he speaks and I listen, I'm in a position to say, Lord, it is your power I work, not mine. I don't have to faith myself into it. I don't have to talk brave talk to receive what you have for me. I'm willing to walk the road. And that's what I was just like so overwhelmed by as I was sitting there during that worship time. And I was just rehearsing my life story and, uh, and the places that I have met God. And I was like, if someone were to look at my life, they would say, dude, you have way too many losses in your column to be chirpy. You have like way too many things that have gone like sideways. But through every season, he has held my hand and walked me through it. And I'm not even smelling like the smoke of the fire I've been through. How does that happen? Does God say he's going to suddenly teleport me to this next higher level of being where I don't have any problems? No. But he says, I don't want you to live like the rest of the world. I've called you to a totally different kind of life. Okay, let's move on. This, the next verse. So Ephesians, so we just did Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. He's not talking about equipment here. Paul is using an illustration of a, of a soldier. He's just seeing off to his side over there. So imagine him writing. So he's talking. So he's someone who had someone write for him. Okay? And so he's pacing around. He's in prison, right? So he's pacing around as these things are being... And he's dictating. He's dictating this letter. So he's writing to the Ephesians and he's like pacing around and he's saying, So um, finally be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. And then he looks off and he sees this guard standing there. And he looks at his, and he says, so put on the full armor of God. Do you get the picture? Okay, so now he's talking and he says, put on the full armor of God. And he's not talking about going to the equipment store. He's saying, there is something that I have talked about from chapters 1 through 5. About what Jesus has done and who you are in Jesus. He says, you better put that on. Stop walking around naked. Stop walking around like everybody else who's trying to figure life out. He says, you've been joined to Christ. Stop trying to separate yourself. Put on the new man that was created in Christ Jesus. Put that on. Ephesians chapter 2, just to take you back. So you see the context for why he's saying some of these things. Right? In Ephesians chapter 2. Just get there. Verses 1 to 3. And it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out 
the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of us. Just like everybody else. Now do you see why I'm saying you cannot live like everybody else? I'm not saying that because you're special. I'm saying that because God has done something quite unique in you. That does not make you like everyone else. Not by exclusion. But because you are joined to Him. You have to understand. When we're talking about standing against the schemes of the devil. What are his schemes? Can you put that slide up? The enemy's playbook. I want you to see this. Because, because I don't have time to go through all these scriptures. Okay? But I want you to see... That the enemy of our soul has a very... He, that guy doesn't have a creative playbook. It's a very small playbook. It literally fits on one slide. Have you ever seen quarterbacks like have their playbook on their arm and stuff? Right? And some guys have like... Cra- like some teams have like crazy playbooks. His first goal is to lie. In John chapter 8... He says, he's the father of lies. He cannot, he doesn't know how to handle truth. He doesn't deal in truths. I don't care what people in America call it today. He doesn't know how to do truth. So the moment you start making ish kind of statements, you got to be careful. This could be happening. We have an enemy who loves to take the truth and turn it upside down. And we need to make sure that we are not falling for it every single time he talks to us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. His goal is to chew you up. And guess what? He doesn't have access to. Which is why he keeps roaming about. He hopes you would let him in. He cannot crush you. Unless I give him access to. And this is something that's very, very critical in the life of a Christian. There are things that we can give away that he cannot take. Which is why I'm talking about this today. Because we have so many things going on in our lives that we feel are just happening to us. Are you hearing me? We feel like it's just happening to us. And we don't get to Ephesians 6.10 where it says, So therefore finally be strong in the Lord. What does that look like? Because I feel like all this is just happening to me. Okay, well how about you start happening to it? And that's the part that a Christian needs to start figuring out. How do I do, how do I happen to my life rather than my life happening to me? How do I get to that place where I start to take a bit more of a stance against some of the things that go on in my life rather than just saying like, everyone's got problems, everyone's got, you know. That kind of talk makes you just like everybody else. And I get where that's coming from because we're not special. But the way we walk through life is entirely different. In Genesis 3, go back to the main account. We don't have to go there right now. But I just want you to understand that his first 
issue that he took was to start lying. Right in the garden, when he wanted to, when God says something, you shall not eat or you will die. He says, did God really say that? I don't think he said that. No, he didn't say that. Like blatant lies. Secondly, going back to that slide, what is, what is the second ask, what is the second thing that he does? He tries to deceive. And he's called the deceiver. In Revelation chapter 12, verse uh, 9 and 10, those are, those are very good verses, because this is at the end of the story, you will start to see, this is something that happened in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that is the ancient serpent, called the devil and Satan, and the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Not only does he lie, he deceives and tricks, and then he accuses he uses disguise. He disguises himself as an angel of light. If you look at some of those verses, right? He disguises himself. And then he tries to overwhelm and intimidate. Those of you who, have, who struggle with stuff in your mind, you know what this feels like. The enemy wants to just bring you to a place where the overwhelm gets enough that you will just put your hands down and wait for it to pass. Or curl up in a ball. He seeks to take what is already happening to you and just say, yeah, you know it's just going to happen. You might as well just sit down. It's hard. This is the war we're in. We're not fighting people. We're fighting real things that are going on in our lives. Second Corinthians chapter four. I want to read that. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And this is something that we have to be very, very careful about in this day. This is one of the biggest places a lot of Christians give, because it looks like it's Christian. The, the, the rhetoric we have in our politics today, the rhetoric we have in our education system today, it all sounds very, very enlightened or even very, very Christian. But it is devoid of the power of God. Because it's ish. We would much rather practice the Bible tenets without the God of the Bible. So be careful. Before you go attach yourself in support of something that looks, oh, this looks solid. Remember, we have someone whose game plan from day one is to trick you into giving your birthright away into something, not the someone who has joined himself to you. As long as he can take your eyes off the God who is joined to you, 
and put it into something or even your church, your pastor, your party, they're always right. You start to trust in those things and then suddenly your connection to the one who helps you discern is weaker and weaker to the point where you can't tell. And then when you hear a passage like John 10, which Bob was going through, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Guess what? This sheep has gone and taken whole bunches of cotton and put that cotton, which is taken in the wool and go put it in the ears. And says, yeah, I'm hearing God-ish. We're on the same farm, I guess. But you're off there somewhere in the woods. And you don't even know it. No, you're fine. You're a Christian. You're doing what's right. Look at the Bible. You're doing the Bible thing. Ah, but you're doing it aside from Him. And these are the things. This is the subtle way the enemy will trick us. So, let's go to verse 12. And this is something that's very, very critical. And I talked about this before. Because you're not just dealing with an anxiety issue. You're not just dealing with a financial issue. You're not just dealing with a relationship issue. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers. Against authorities. And look at the number of times it says against. Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now it would all look like just one big we're fighting a whole bunch of things, right? But this is very critical that you understand these are very specific Greek words, which is why it wasn't just lumped together as you're just fighting darkness. These are very real places of demonic authority and power that function in the world. And the problem is we have like party-like situations like last week where people kind of like, yeah... Dressed like a goblin, dressed like a skull. Who cares? I mean, it's Halloween. Throw a couple of skeletons over there and be careful. I'm not going to sit there judging you for what you do, but be very, very careful what you party yourself with. This is what you're up against. Don't kid yourself. You can kid yourself all you want that you just have a, an issue in your brain or you just have, this is my problem, my relationships, everyone's got... Guess what? You have people, spiritual beings, whose intent is to take you out. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Now these are spiritual governments in heavenly places. So that word is archis, or overseeing government. You'd be surprised to know that hell has its own government. So these are overseeing rulers that govern spiritual forces of darkness. And against authorities, that word there is exousia, which is, is delegated leadership. What we would call admirals. Or people that have power to enforce something and lead an entire battalion. Or an entire army. Against cosmic powers over the present darkness. This is cosmokratos, kratos, which is, which, is to, which is to do with 
an organized army. It's almost like a unit that's organized. Do you know that that sort of stuff is running around Indiana County? You thought you were just coming to a church meeting. So what we do matters as much as what they're doing. We're not playing. We're not just walking through life trying to get. Now do you see what I'm getting at when I say we're not just trying to get to the end. There's a whole bunch going on that we usually just be like, meh. It's just a hard day. We have a lot of believers who don't know. They're none the wiser. They're like, this is just life happens to me and I just deal with it. And again, spiritual forces of evil. That word there, spiritual forces of evil, is the word to do with wickedness that constantly is, is prodding. Constantly trying to get you off course. It's like a niggling thing. Have you heard of intrusive thoughts? Or things that, that just keep coming at you. Like, like I'm still here. I'm still here. These are things that we all face. And the, guess what? We just think it's just happening to us. We are totally unaware of a spiritual war that's going on. Just so, just so you see the context of this passage. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. Because you will see the same words. I want you to see that when he worked, the power that, that he worked when Christ was raised from the dead. So there was a power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Right? He says, I will exercise my power and raise what is dead will now live. So Jesus lived again. Right? He rose from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. And where did Jesus go and sit? Remember we talked about this in the previous series. About favor coming from a king. Where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God. Far above all. And here's that word. Those words again. Rulers. So after... He's higher than every demonic government that is set up. So he's high, he's high above every rule and every delegated authority under that government. And power and dominion. It's the same words. It's the same Greek words. So you have this, this entire demonic power structure. He says, Jesus has been placed above all of that. And look at this. Keep reading. And above every name that is named. So Jesus has been given a place of honor and authority over every power. And also the name above every other name. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So he has gotten, he is victorious over all of it. And he has put all things under his feet. And given him, so this same person who is above every authority and power. So this is where the story gets good, right? I've been scaring you a little bit right now with some of this stuff. You're like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on? But this Jesus that you've been given, he's put all things and given him as head over all things to the church. This Jesus has been given to you and me. Amen. Think about that. You are not fighting a battle by yourself. The one who sits above all of these powers. He's right above all of it. He says, I have joined myself to you. Entirely. And I won't let go. I won't let go of you. I've got you. 
So, on days when you feel like a hot mess, it's all right to be like a hot mess. As long as you remember, I have someone I can run to. I don't fight my battles. This is where that context comes from. You don't fight your battles, you let him fight the battle. Because you got nothing on any demonic power. Better get that straight. You have nothing on them. They've been doing, they've been working this playbook for years. But I know someone who does. And I join myself to him. Ephesians 3, move forward a couple chapters. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 9 through 11. I want you to see the battle that we're in. That what God was doing by bringing people to salvation, he says, to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. What was this mystery? Read the next verse. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who again? To all those governments. He says, I'm going to show you guys up through these little itty bitty people who are made out of dirt. You know these people who cannot decide on what color the carpet should be in their church? Those people. I'm going to pick those people and I'm going to place them with my wisdom and my authority and my very life source is going to be with them. And you've got nothing on them. So when the, when the hordes of hell try to create their game plan, they're like, okay, so how do we tackle this? They've been trying to tackle the church for 2,000 years. It's not worked yet. So guess what? Is there a part of your heart that is, is a little anxious or scared about Christianity in America? It's okay to be bothered. But guess what? The enemy has been at it for 2,000 years. He still has it. Every single time he tries to shut the church down, the church actually grows. So why are you worried about being shut down? I think the church is going to grow. So I am not anxious about an unchristian America. What I am concerned about is a Christian America that says, I'm willing to stand. Not in Christianity, but in the strength of His might. That is a whole different ballgame. Because I'm no longer standing on a Christian platform. I'm standing on Christ Himself. No foundation can be laid apart from the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus himself. You cannot build on anything else. Make sure that your foundation is strong. So, I'm going to take a little while here more, okay? because I really want you to see this. In verse 13 of chapter 6, he says, So take up, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Evil day just means any day that evil shows up at your door. This is not some sp special day. And guess what? We're in a war zone. We're in a place where we, are, we have our children that we're fighting for. But who fights the battle for them? God does. I don't fight it. 
There are days my daddy heart, my papa heart aches. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to see my child go through this. Especially knowing what I went through. But guess what? I don't fight that battle. I will stand though. That's the difference. I'm prepared to stand. Which is what Ephesians chapter 6 says, stand. So having done everything else, stand. It's a posture of not ceding ground. Not stepping back. Every single time the enemy comes closer, you just keep saying, all right, you know. Okay, I get pushed into this, I get pushed into this, and I get pushed into that. I'm standing right here. This is what Jesus has done in my home. I'm building my house on Jesus. And he's never let me down. He's faithful through every season. So why would he fail now? He won't. No, he won't. Now do you see how that song takes a different... No, he won't. And you're like, every single... No, yeah, yeah, you're, you're messed up. You're never going to make it. And that, that voice that wants to dominate, you have no answer to answer it with, except I have been covered in Jesus Christ. He is my safety. Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't give any opportunity to the devil. Hold fast. Stand firm. You see constantly in scripture, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Don't, don't let anything shake you off balance. Stand. Hold that promise. When you feel like everything else is mush, hold that. You know what he has said to you. If you're confused, write it down. Don't shake. Because everything around you is shaking. But you don't have to. And it's not because of Christian bravado. And I, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but I have to say it because in our Christian circles, these sorts of phrases get taken and then run with. Everything you do to stand is in the context of engaging with a God who says, I will never leave you. I don't understand a lot of things, Lord, but I understand that you will never leave me or forsake me. So now when you look at the armor of God, which I'm not going to go into right now. I might teach on this later in, full, in fuller detail. But I want you to understand that when you latch yourself onto God, you're not, you're not trying to make something happen. Oh, the, you know, this is my faith statement for today. Don't make faith statements. Connect with the one who makes the statement and then say, I'm willing to say that. What he gives to me, I will say. That was what we heard the last few weeks. When he speaks, he will give you something very small. It could be a worship song, like, just like Brittany said. Something to sing over your household. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to pray about this. But I know who does. So I will do the things that direct my heart into a connection where I'm holding on to him. I can do that much. I can direct my heart to say, soul, why are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in God. Because I know you're messed up right now. Body, why are you so frail? Put your hope in God. I lay down and I slept. And I awoke because the Lord sustains me. 
That's Psalm 3. And I want you to see that in everything, God will give you scripture. And for those of you who did the Nourish Soul devotional, my goal was to help you see that in His Word, there are not just like promises to quote. But there is a God to be encountered that as you start to meet with Him, this language that He has given us in His Word starts to become a confession that comes from a real place. It's no longer make-believe. It's no longer Christian jargon. It's something like, Lord, I don't understand much, but I know that you're a God whose compassion never fails. Your tender mercies are new every morning. That's all I know. Guess what? It's got nothing to do with my situation right now, but it's planting me in truth. There's so much more I want to talk about, but I really want to finish here. Because I want to leave you with just this. When you know who you are in Christ Jesus, everything around you that is swimming and everything around you that just seems to be like, I don't know how to fight this, I will stand my ground. Whether it's with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, all of these things are not things. They are the work of Jesus in me. I realize that I've been made righteous. I realize that by putting my faith in Him, I'm able to stand against anything that accuses me. Because I put my faith in the one who never fails. So I don't have to fight it. God fights my battle. Do you understand? So you'll start to read. When you read that passage of Scripture, I hope you never see it as just stuff that you're supposed to do you see it more as a position of saying i'm gonna take what jesus has done for me and stand in it amen, amen. walsa can lead us